Well, everybody, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number 22 of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, motherfucking Inline G. Now, I know you're looking at this podcast thinking, wow, that is a long episode, and I know. But I had so much fun with this week's guest, which I'm going to play in a minute, that I couldn't edit anything out. We covered so many great topics. So, there is chapters available. If you scroll down the description, you will find chapters. You can click on them and jump to the topic you want to listen to straight away. More important than ever. My guest this week is none other than Canadian flutist, writer, recording artist, designer, and gin connoisseur, Jay Marsh, aka The Wild Flute. Me and Jay chatted about everything from ageism to imposter syndrome, the recording process, and her own journey through this insane music world. It is a great bumper episode and I highly recommend using those chapters to go and listen to the topics. It's so good. We had so much fun. And the time difference between here and Canada meant that at midnight during the episode, it turned into my birthday. So we cracked open a bottle of sparkling rosé wine to celebrate. Jay is not only an awesome musician, but she's a wonderful person and an avid supporter of this podcast. So it delighted me to be able to bring on someone who supports the podcast and continue to build this community. The community that I think is the most empathetic, the most kind, and the most downright funny of the flute world. And finally, you can donate to this podcast if you want to. This is a small independent podcast, the very definition of one. I do everything on my own, script writing, editing, production, graphic design, marketing, all of it on my own. It's a passion project. It is free. It will always be free. I will never introduce a system where you have to pay for more content. Pinky promise. But if you wish to donate to the podcast, it is incredibly appreciated. There's a link in the bio on YouTube or you can head over to my Instagram page and you can hit the link in the bio there. I recommend donating whatever a Dr. Pepper or a pint of beer costs in your country. If you can afford it, it is incredibly appreciated. This month, I actually turned down a little bit of work to be able to focus more on this podcast. So you're going to get better content. But if you cannot afford it, that's also fine. You can listen for free. It is a system based on kindness and support. So anyway, here is this week's episode. It is Jay Marsh, a.k.a. The Wild Flute, on the Inline G podcast. But yeah, so here, tell me, before we even get into all this, I can get stuck well, in. That, uh, pink, yes, where does the whole Where does the whole pink thing come from? Is that a is that a branding thing? Is that something you picked up when you brought this on, or is pink just your favorite color? Um, do you know, like, funny, when I was a kid, uh, my, my parents painted most of my room in sort of like a really bright grass green, and the accents were a pale pink. And I liked mm-hmm. them, and but for the most part, I actually hated pink most of my life. But I think it was because I objected to how um, feminized it was. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And and I just didn't like any of the pink toys. I was somewhat of a tomboy, although you know, just okay. I liked crafting things. I don't know. I just so it wasn't even a thing. And then I, I and then I've never even colored my hair all of my life. I'm actually a natural redhead. Okay. Oh wow! Okay. Strawberry blonde. Yes. So this isn't too far off. <laughs> it's not. Um, no. It's not. Um, but, uh, okay, what am I? I'm just, Although I being a redhead is very cool you. these days. It's very in. It is. It is. But you know what happened is that I started to go a little bit, it started to fade. Um, after I had kids, okay. it just faded a little bit. And being uh, a Leo and a redhead, boring hair just isn't on. Classic combination. Yeah. So, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> so you just so, really just went fuck it i'm going full bright pink and that's it committing to it well i started off with a little bit of of like over dye over my natural hair and yeah. and then like literally the week before covid uh, shut us down yeah i had no idea we had a concert coming up like the two weeks like the two weeks after i did this and i went to my friend who's a hairdresser and i said mm. bleach it i want to go bright pink and 
I, I've never even hennaed my hair. I've never done anything chemical to my okay. hair okay. ever. And so she had to ask me about four times if I was sure before she started bleaching my hair. And it literally took six hours. Oh, wow. So it was, okay. It was a commitment. Yeah, <laughs> and that's then an operation. I, and, yeah, exactly. And and I haven't sort of looked back since. I, uh, and how long ago was and then that it became then? A oh, yeah, three years was, of COVID. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, three years ago. And then it, because I was releasing an album and I wanted to, I was looking into how to um, promote albums and yeah. how the indie world does it versus the classical world. I really leaned into a lot of that stuff. And so I've been uh. trying to do things with the classical music the way um, the indie world does, you know, with varying degrees of success because our audiences aren't trained in the same way that indie audiences are, right? So, Do you think that's what the um, issue is? Do you think it's that the audiences aren't quite ready for it? I think they don't know what to do. They're not used to buying merch. They're not used to um, really leaning into their being fans and supporting their fans and being excited, buying posters, buying yeah. this, buying that. They just buy, they might buy a CD or a t-shirt if they're at a concert and they'll think that's great, you know, or they'll buy tickets, which will be great for a, for a live concert. But beyond that, like there's not obsessive streaming, you know, people don't obsess over certain kinds of music as yeah well. I, that's a very interesting point i never really thought about it that specifically about the audience not being the issue but playing a role in it because i do often think about like how we market ourselves as classical musicians and i really think the modern world is changing so much that we don't go to record labels anymore we don't go to search for the work we build a fan base and sell directly to them but yep. classical music seems to be a little bit exempt from that in some kind of weird way they haven't quite picked I up on think i think the younger exempt. generation is better but I don't think we're exempt from it. I just think we haven't been doing it and no one has really figured out that that's what we have to do to join the modern mm. age. And that's kind of been my soapbox a little bit uh, is trying to encourage my um, my colleagues to a record at all. It was something that uh, I was not encouraged to do when I was in university. It was like I wasn't a wunderkind or some kind of like blessed star or something yeah. so who would want to hear me you know those kinds of horrible messages which are you know false um but that's kind of like when i was in school it wasn't a thing you know it's like how it was almost uh who do you think you are okay kind of you know all, almost um so uh for me to get into and this ties into the brand as well and why i called myself the, the wild flute um i needed to separate myself from the recording, right? I was doing it for the composers. I wanted to leave something for my kids to hear. And it's not me, Jay Marsh, it's mm -hmm. the wild flute. And then I sort of took on that persona. And then that's where um, the, I, that helped me do the branding a little bit because I leaned into that. Okay. And, you know, what else so, has changed with that branding? What else has came along with the wild flute? Uh, a lot more confidence. Really? And really so, yeah. was the recording. Yeah. Is it an aspect, I, I once had, a, actually a therapist tell me once that it's not uh, fake it till you make it, it is more fake it till you are it, which I really enjoyed. And I feel oh, like I when like you that. play the role of being confident, you can, confidence and self-esteem come with it naturally. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does it also um, having, you know, once I put something out there and putting yourself out there, it's one thing to go live on, on stage and you're in an orchestra and, um, uh, and there's an audience and then it's there and you play well or, you know, there's some kind of uh, cock up, the, but it's, uh, you know, it's there and it's gone. It's ephemeral and mm -hmm. there's no evidence, 
right? Like it's exactly. fine. It didn't happen, you know, or, yeah. or the audience is usually very appreciative. You feel good playing. You get that response from the audience. But yeah. then when it's a permanent record, like, <laughs> I'm, I found that difficult at first, but also really, um, really kind of empowering. Out of curiosity, did you do social media before you did your record or was your record first and then dipping into social media? Um, I was on social media a little bit. I had very few followers, like maybe like 150. Now standard, I was just like, you know, I was on social media to to look at people and to to just consume just like everybody else is for the most part. Um, But uh, I hired uh, somebody to help me build up my numbers. And so I could figure out like what was going on. I went and Mm. um, hung out with some with a hip hop kind of uh, branding and marketing group. Um, cool. to learn what okay. they did. And then I booked uh, Matt Bacon, who normally helps a lot of um, more metal bands and, and, wow, and okay. other kinds of indie stuff. And then also I've spoken to Jesse Cannon a couple of times, and he's another guru in the, uh, in the indie music space. And just trying to figure out all the different things I can do. Now, what I run out of is um, time and energy to do all these TikToks. Mm. I've got all these great ideas to put out content, that kind of thing. It's like, Sometimes it's okay to just, you know, I'm kind of actually a little bit burned out. <laughs> oh, I can get that. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm to be really honest, you know, so it's an investment. I'm, it's right a now. huge time investment making social media content. But I am bad sure. to ask you then if you were working with things like uh, hip hop people and heavy metal, what did you learn? What translates into classical music or. Yeah, it's translate um, the right well, word. Anyway, the connecting to fans, connecting to fans for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, what kind of content to put out, uh, how to identify who your fans might be, even though we're in a niche market and, and really um, uh, getting some confidence. Um, yeah. I also got like sort of like a little bit of a posting schedule, but it's such a fluid industry. And it's really just interesting to hang out with those guys because um, every six months the algorithms change or the yeah. – um, you know, the apps do something funny, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a very fluid. Um, yeah. You know, how do you space. feel about, even when you're saying that, how do you feel about the term fans? Like, I find that weird. I I, I haven't quite settled on the idea that I think I could have a fan. <laughs> that feels bizarre. Like people have told me they're a fan of I the know. podcast and they listen regularly. And I'm like, you're, you're not a fan. You're a fan of like the Libertines of the Arctic Monkeys. You're not a fan of me. <laughs> I mean, you're a fan of like real music. You're not a fan of like me. But I, I feel like in classical I, music, fandom isn't really a, it doesn't seem to be a, a, as accepted a thing here. That's true. And I think it's all part of the not putting yourself forward because um, who do you think you are? Like that whole thing really translates across, uh, even soloists are really self-deprecating. Oh, it's about the music. It's about the composer. I'm here to give to you, you know, like we're really resistant to that sort of, um, it, seems like it feels like self-aggrandizing, but it's not. It's it's um, it's celebrating the art that you bring to the world and allowing other yeah. people to enjoy that. I had a couple of experiences, if, I'll, if you'll let me. Um, oh, one when I was playing with my uh, orchestra in um, playing the Peterborough Symphony on the principal flute there. Yeah, I know. And um, I, uh, I I played a couple of concerts in my first se- season. And then I was given a bow for some – oh, we had a whole French program. It was insane. We did a Premedy and we did um, – Mother Goose, and then um, okay, a couple wow. of other like major flute things. It's like I, I was yeah. busy, 
Anyway, Flute so heavy, I got yeah. a, I, <laughs> I got a, I got a, a stand up. You know, the conductor asked me to stand up, and the the audience, mm-hmm. a couple of people like hooted, they cheered like out loud when I stood up. And yeah. I was like, thank it's you. Cool. What yeah. is that? And I asked my friend, my best friend plays in the orchestra. I was like, what is that? It was like you have fans here. People like yeah. you. I was like, but it's nobody knows me here because it's not my town. I was like. Okay, I'm, you know, other people are used to that, but I'm not really used yeah. to putting myself out there, right? And then um, I presented my album. I, w- I was very fortunate to be accepted at the National Flute Association for the 50th anniversary in mm. Chicago. So, um, and I was setting up and someone, I had a couple of friends who were looking after me and someone came to the door and said, look, I just want to say hi. And I didn't know who this woman was, Um she's we're not connected on any socials i don't know how she found out about me but she was really appreciative just wanted a hug and just was was in tears with the expression of you know appreciation for the album and so that made everything that i'm going through worth it just one person if i move one person that's i'm i'm good i'm good totally understand that yeah i can relate that entirely yeah yeah. So I'm going to have to interrupt you for a second because I'm going to have to open my champagne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Hold on. Yeah, as we deliberately gonna... decided. Um, yes. And then wait, wait. Yeah. I've got a thing. Oh my God. Hey. <laughs> Happy birthday. I love it. Hold on. Can I you see? see? I can't can see it. Like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay. Because <laughs> I can't see that you can see it. <laughs> right. I, and I have to be careful there because I don't put... want to make a. I don't want to blow this up. <laughs> It's a very, very cheap bottle of very cheap um, uh, French, not yeah. French, sorry, German rosé, sparkling rosé. Excellent. Rose. Hey. And then, right. and then I have a birthday hat. Nope, that's what I was making. Oh, I have a birthday hat. can think of no better way to bring in my birthday. And I've got pink <laughs> sparkling wine as well. Oh, excellent. So you're going to open mine. Fuck's sake, you put a flake I'm in that and some strawberry sauce. I'm wearing a party hat on an international <laughs> blog. I love this it. where my life has come to. Yep, sitting on the internet, wearing a party hat, drinking with a drunk arse. can't even one. make it work. I'm Talking about foods. Yeah, well, we may have to edit cheers this Cheers then, it. Fuck the hat. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, we're keeping it all in. I want everyone to know how unprofessional this podcast is. I want everyone to know what goes on here. That's all right. Honestly. Well, you know what, I'll... I'll, per- we'll, we'll, I'll perch it on my head so that we can at least get a still of me wearing oh, a yeah. party hat. Because, yeah. like, I have to show you the picture of you. Oh, wait. Oh, you moved, you bastard. Okay. Now, stand I'll stay still. still now. I'll stay still now. Hang on. Hang on. Uh, smile. Hold on. There we go. It might be fuzzy. Okay. <laughs> fuzzy. Yeah, it's a little bit fuzzy. But there you go. That's incredible. Okay, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real celebration. And, and it's so okay, cool to have you on as well, like, because obviously aww. since like day one of the podcast, or pretty much since the early days, you've reached out oh, yeah. and told me how much you've enjoyed it. And oh, it's so nice to be able to bring people that listen to the podcast onto the podcast and yeah, build a community here that's entirely our own. Fuck everybody it is. else, man. And, and <laughs> it, it's so nice to have... Um, I don't know how to open this, and I don't think I can. Champagne. Oh, this champagne, yeah. It, and I'll have gin instead. Oh, <laughs> I'll have a pink gin instead. <laughs> oh, I'm a big man for this. I love a pink gin. Glendalough as well. Is, that, is Glendalough Irish or is it Scottish? Uh, I think it's Scottish. Um, I've drank it a few times. My mum drinks Glendalough, actually. Oh, really? It's yeah. very pretty. Has a nice color to it. Oh, there it is, nice and pink. 
Has the gin cream swept Canada as it has the rest of the world? Um, yeah, it's a pretty popular drink. Um, I think but it you have like the gin bars, women. the gin. Oh, that I, I don't know. I don't get out. Okay. <laughs> well, you're too busy making albums. You're too busy creating great music. You're too oh, much shit to do. You. Too much shit to do. I actually did. So, actually, I listened to your album birthday. as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's it. You did? You listened? Mm-hmm. I mean, I discovered it at, when we first got in touch, obviously, because, you know, you see someone's name come up, you want to go and explore. For sure. Um, but often when I listen to food albums, I'll just sort of, I wouldn't say I put them on the background, but I would listen to them on the train. You know, and I might yeah. be reading the book or something at the same kind of time. That's what we and do, then right? the very first track of that album made me go, okay, it's not that kind of album. I need to kind of dedicate my time to this album because it's obviously, it nearly feels like a concept album. I don't know if that's fair to say or if that's a bit wanky to say, but to me, it feels like a concept. I'm not sure what the concept is, but it's beautifully <laughs> well, it's bookended in the as title. well. Well, it's it is, in the yeah. Title. <laughs> I know, yeah. But obviously, oh, it's see, very. You know what? Go. Go ahead. Um, what you don't have when you listen to it on on the streaming and whatnot, and that's where classical music has a bit of a problem. If you listen to it, um, if you go to the Apple page, there's you can download the the booklet. There's like a twenty four ah. page booklet that goes with it, right? And it ah. explains the concept and my whole thing. But anyway, you were saying ah, because when you do um, when you listen to it on the mobile version of Spotify, you do get the beautiful illustrations as well, and you get like the dynamic illustrations. They're beautiful. They're really cool. Oh. Thank but you. Yeah, Those so are... I want to know, I really want to know about the recording process. Now that you've talked about that and that, how you sort of got yourself around that. So how did you, find, like, where did you record it? Tell me that first. Uh, well, that first track that you heard, which is um, a duet for Flute and Loon, that was the only track that I did not commission. Um, ah. That was written by Diane Barry. Um, yeah. And it was for her mother who grew up on Georgian Bay, which is where we, our family has um, a cottage on Georgian Bay. It's a very large okay. body of water, part of one of the, part of one of the great lakes, um, in North America. And, yeah. um, loons are quite ubiquitous, right? And, okay. um, so, uh, the loons reminded this composer, uh, Diane of her mother's time in Georgian Bay and she wrote it for her mom. And so it's a duet for flute and loon. I had first Beautiful. performed it in 2017 on a stage with, um, with the loon pre-recorded loon calls that comes with the the purchase of the album, um, at a you know at a Heliconian Hall, it was for like a women in music women composers event, mm-hmm. Association of Women Composers, I think, and um, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it would be kind of fun to record that someday at our cottage, and so I used uh-huh. that track as um, the uh, main track to apply for grants, which I did. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that was the demo track. And so I hired a producer and who ended up being a, a lovely friend of mine and he's fantastic um, live and recording producer. He's also a pho- phenomenal trumpet player. His name is Robert DeVito. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rob. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he came up to our uh, cottage and we recorded early in the morning and also at night um the flute part to go with the okay. loon calls and then we added in uh, some ambient sounds of crickets and mosquitoes yeah. and all that uh-huh. sort of thing um on georgian bay and uh so that was on the first track so that was actually recorded at our cottage 
Like and was it. that planned to be the first track of an album or was it planned to be a solo thing that then developed into an album? Um, okay, so the, the whole story, if we back up a little bit, the oh. reason I even bothered to attempt an album is that my uh, friend Elizabeth Rom, who's a fabulous Canadian composer, um, said, uh, go get a Factor grant. That's uh, one of the granting bodies in Canada that gives you mm-hmm. money to record an album. Go get a Factor grant and I'll write you a piece. Okay. And so, okay. So I applied for, so okay. you need demos to apply for a grant or whatever. So I did this demo and it was on spec and I applied for a grant and then I got the grant. <laughs> um, but I had to develop a whole story for, I started with a Kickstarter. Um, I had a whole story oh. of who I was going to commission to write pieces. Um, and then uh, in the, that process is how I developed the story to apply for a factor grant. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I had the the demos uh, and whatever. So in the process of developing that, I reached out to the Canadian Music Centre, and they have a label called Center Discs. And in order to qualify to be distributed by Center Discs, it had to be all Canadian composers. So then okay. I thought, okay, I will go find a bunch of Canadian composers, commission new pieces, and there we go. I have my project, and I had a story. And what I asked <laughs> the composers to do was to write pieces. Um, about Canadian wild spaces that were special to them. Wow. And, okay. And yeah. And the germ of the idea came from calling the flute and loon piece. Cause that's what Diane wrote about. And so then that, that's oh. where that came from. But that also gives quite a lot of freedom to the composers as well. Just mm-hmm. let them choose something. Was that deliberate to give them that kind of freedom? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was deliberate. And that actually forms a part of every piece that touches this album. And I was, I'm hoping to do a second one. It's a whole project sort oh. of idea. Um, I want every artist that that comes in contact with the album to really put their spin on it, including the album cover. Which the is album gorgeous, cover. yeah. We're a little bit reversed. Yeah. Um, um, the photography, makeup artist, hair people, like anybody that touched it, including the videos. I've done single videos for mm-hmm. most of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, and they're very special art videos. And I had um, the animators or the cinematographers um, create pieces that that were meaningful when they listened to the piece so and i and also you'll notice in some of the the videos and i have a trailer um i had i hired artists like um painters to paint to the music and i and i had them videotape that and i used the video of them painting as projections on the live performance that is so uh, good premiere but I love that. Yeah, I love that appreciation of the artist as well, and every every person that contributes to the artistic outcome of it. I actually read, obviously, I was floating about your website as well, and I read a, it was a really cool thing that on the front page of your website you have your own philosophy about how to make music or about art in general. And one of your things was about like your responsibility to the composer and how they come first, and the space in between is where we sort of slot in. Obviously, that was a big part of the thinking then with the album, was it? Um, yes, it was. Um, my parents were visual artists. I do some visual uh-huh. art. I'm also a graphic designer. So I have touches in these areas. And so uh, multidisciplinary arts in general are important to me. I used to work in film as well. So I could visualize ideas and I could give d- uh, good briefs to the um, to the artists who were doing the videos. And um, so I understood what was going on. And I, I could have done the artwork myself and done everything. But at at one point I realized it was too much for me to do yeah. everything. 
And then I, I really wanted, if I was going to invite other artists in, how would I want to participate? And I wanted it to be their freedom. Like, you know, in the end, I would say, yes, but let's tweak this a little bit because they're not yeah. necessarily in my head and know what I'm envisioning. But I, you know, they needed some encouragement to be free and to express themselves. Yeah. And I think uh, we managed that with most of it. So actually, when you're saying you're a multidisciplinary artist, do you view your role as, do you view yourself as primarily a flute player now, or are you still multidisciplinary? I've always been a flute player. Yeah, would you put that, <laughs> Even, would you rank it a little bit higher? Yes, absolutely, because okay. uh, it's been, it's the one thing, like I've tried working full-time in other areas to try and just pay for, you know, pay bills and that kind what of thing. What have you done? Have you done anything terrible? I love, I love juicy <laughs> stories like this. What's the worst job you've ever done? <laughs> the worst job I've ever done. Um, honestly, it was probably telemarketing, but I was really, really good at mm. it. So they begged me to stay, but I quit after like a week. cold calling people and that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, I'm very that's chatty. That's the worst so job I like in the a- world though. <laughs> it oh. is. And so I, I try to be like, and, and mind you, it was for, uh, it was for, a new concert hall that that was oh. selling you know subscriptions and so so it was still within my wheelhouse and i think that helped me be good at yeah. it because i'll start talking to anybody like whatever i'll find a point of contact um but also telling them that i'm a musician and i love this hall and all that kind of thing and it made it so that they were eating out of and my- you, but you were going after a week anyway <laughs> oh yeah what, i couldn't what stay. happened you quit or they sacked you oh i quit oh no no, okay, no. you can talk about it now like don't worry they're not going to come after you now it was a very, very long time ago. Um, yeah, no, it was just the supervisors and like the, the, I had to put up my hand and schedule going to the bathroom, like that kind of inhumane oh God, treatment. Man. I just wasn't interested man. in that. I've never been interested in that. So I don't work well under those kinds of circumstances. I learned yeah. that very early on. Yeah, well, obviously, even being so multidisciplinary and doing so many projects and leading your own way and doing so much shit, you obviously enjoy working on your own. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've been in charge of volunteers before and bless them. I'm not great at being really an encouraging leader. Like I can do it, but um, I'd rather do the planning and all the organizing, that Mm. kind of thing. I I ran the air show for one season. We have a huge air show down here and and, uh, that was kind of fun, but all the middle managers. Oh, I know. Well, I mean... I did a lot of administration stuff and I was teaching people how to use the internet. So I, that sort of comfort level with new technology was really baked in. Okay. That was back in the nineties. Yeah. And then, okay. uh, <laughs> and then, so I just carried those skills onward. Right. And then my dad was a graphic designer, kind of followed after him after he passed. And, okay. um, and I've been really kind of enjoying that piece and I dabble in making art and whatever, but I'm, I'm kind of, I need a project to do. I don't just paint because I need to, but um, okay. I'm yeah. going back to your point of why music is first is because I need to. When I was, um, I'm a mom of two. And when they were very, very small, um, it was really hard. And okay. I found, because I'm an only child. And so I hadn't really been pushed too much outside of my zones where I needed um, a place to retreat from or to recover. Um, but with kids there are a lot. <laughs> and yeah. so what I found was my uh, recovery place was playing my flute. And that was okay. really interesting to me because I, I, I didn't realize up until then how important it was to me. Okay. Right? 
And because, uh, I mean, I tried being an event planner. I was Toronto's uh, first green event planner, like environmentally friendly. I created a trade show and I loved all of that. But the time that was taken away from me being with my kids did not reward me as much as playing music did. So if yeah. I was going to spend time away from my children, it had to refuel me so that I would come back a happier mummy. So. Yeah. So what is your background then with the flute before that? Because the way you're talking about it almost implies that you maybe fell out of love with it for a while before you had your children or you had to rediscover that. So what was going on before then? Well, I always loved playing, but I actually, um, I struggled with certain things and I found out like only five years ago why I was having some technical struggles. Um, I'm a, I have hypermobile joints, mostly just in my hands. And okay. so I experienced pain from the age of 17, but, oh, wow. um, I always loved flute. I was just never, was never able to reach a really high technical level. Like, you know, for a while there, I couldn't even, you know, I'm going to admit all of the things here because um, yeah. we need to be open i couldn't do like the prokofiev classical for example i couldn't do hmm. um like any more of those really can, hard, <laughs> hard technical things um it, it just it hurt and created a lot of pain and then i was in massage therapy a lot because mm. i couldn't afford that i had to work because you know there wasn't a lot of you know, we had some money, but not a lot. So I couldn't go to camps. I didn't do any of the, you know, extra massage therapy and whatnot that would help me stay yeah. in good shape and that kind of thing. So I thought for the longest time, I thought it was me. I had bad technique and I was always investigating, you know, this thing, that thing, trying new things. But it turns out it's actually my ligaments are too, like my joints are too bendy. And, um, and, and that's why I was in pain. And so and it was funny though, having kids when you when you um, first get pregnant, um, at a certain point in the journey, in order to get ready to have you know to 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 give birth, there's a hormone called relaxin. <laughs> Funnily mm -hmm. enough, aptly named, and at that point, it just released a lot of tension in a lot of my joints that I, that was there, and all of a sudden, I could actually play. And it's actually because I had wow. kids that I was able to jump over the hurdle that I was experiencing. And, and then, you know, I decided, you know, I was either going to focus all my time on flute until I know that I can't do it anymore. So basically, you know, either do it or sell the flutes. Okay. Right. Okay. And wow. so when I hit that point, I just, I went back, I got some more training. I saw a couple of, you know, my favorite people in town to help, you know, guide me in the right place and just started working on audition nerves. Cause that was a big thing for me too. And just trying to push through. And, and then, so I'm okay. here now. It's Look at you now. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you now. You're here. Well, actually on that then, where did your experience start with the Peterborough Symphony Orchestra? Um, they needed a principal flute and I went and auditioned. It was a small audition because it's a regional mm -hmm. orchestra. And, um, when I started, they were wanting to move away from a, a um, community orchestra, high level community orchestra with higher ends to a semi-professional. And so okay. we're still on that journey because COVID took a few years out of that. Yeah. But, um, um, I auditioned and I was hired to be their principal flutes and so it was 2017. Okay. Okay. So 2017. Not very long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not really. No. But uh, how do you find that experience playing as principal flute with that kind of orchestra? Because I've checked out their website and stuff. They seem like a very active orchestra within the community. They have outreach, workshops, concerts. Do you find that different from like conservatoire training, classical training? Um, 
No, we play very traditional staged, you know, symphonic music. Mm. We do. Um, we did play, we're just starting to explore um, performing in the community and that kind of thing. And, and that's been good because we need to improve um, the visibility of the orchestra because it's a hockey town and they don't know that they have a symphony orchestra for the most part. <laughs> oh, it's a hockey um, town? I didn't know that. Yes, Peterborough. Yeah, the Peterborough Peets are really quite um, okay. well known. I'll, I'll have to take the, your word for that. Yeah, sorry. My have, ice hockey knowledge I'm, is very poor. Eh, mine too, really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dad liked hockey. I don't know. I just have heard of them, so there we are. You know, yay. Go okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> but okay. the, the the conductor is also conducting um, an orchestra in Toronto, where I live, which is an hour and a half away. So I travel mm-hmm. uh, to get to this orchestra, and um, and that and he conducts a community orchestra here, and. Um, Again, similar, fairly high level, but we're in Peterborough, we're, we hire in a fair number of string players. So there are all players that I also meet up with in the freelance orchestras in other areas okay. of the city. And so um, we sort of joke around in Ontario because there's a number of regional orchestras that hire in extra players when they need to. And generally you get to them by traveling this highway called the 401. Highway okay. part. It's the trans part of the Trans Canada Highway. Okay. So we call ourselves the four oh one Symphony. Ah. Beautiful. <laughs> because it sounds you, like a Bob the Dylan same song. extras show up to each concert that they can, like you run into your friends. Okay. And so I do play on occasion with some of those orchestras. But how do you find um, the experience but, playing with the orchestra then as well? Because it sounds like it's a very comfortable orchestra. You know a lot of people, it sounds enjoyable and a very pleasant experience. Is mm-hmm. it different to traditional orchestral playing or I see. I think what I'm more wanting to ask is: Do you feel things like imposter syndrome? Do you get nervous? Does all that play into that experience? Um, no, all that work that I did that I was talking about of yeah. you know either I make it or sell the flutes. When I play in an orchestra, I don't generally get nervous. And actually, what really? I did, what I did, well, I think I used to, but what I did when I was trying to say you know do all the auditions and get ready for those and whatever is I needed to. I realize I need to get to a place where I trust myself and I trust my playing and that, you know, and that's what allowed me to not feel nervous anymore. And that started with performance. Now I'm also a piccolo player. Um, oh, and so there's that. no hiding on piccolo. So I think my nerves probably in live performance, my nerves were well dealt with because I play piccolo, right? It's yeah. a tightrope walk. And so I got used to that. So yeah. I, you know, it's, um, it's when you're being tested, like a, like an audition and the stakes are kind of high, like you can psych yourself out a little bit, but when I, but working to a, to a point where I really trusted myself allows me, like, I mean, in addition to just really refining my te- technique and being able to, to perform, um, that helps me, but I also really love orchestral music. I, I'm kind of an orchestra nerd. And so okay. with the Peterborough Symphony, even though we only have five concerts a year, um, we, we do fairly traditional um, pieces along with some new Canadian stuff, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I really love being in an orchestra, um, making music with the with the other wind players and getting to know each other well enough so that we know how to make music together. That's the different feel from the other professional work that I do when it's a pickup orchestra or, or I'm playing as like fourth flute in an, in an orchestra that normally plays together. So that's a different feel. I don't get to be part of the sound necessarily. I have to fit myself in and, yeah, yeah. and very, very quickly 
um, meld myself with a with a section I don't really know necessarily because it's going to be different people each time. But in Peterborough, I get to know the other principal players and yeah, um, and I get to you know participate in the leadership, um, and that's what I really like about that role because I do have ideas about parts and I have ideas about how flute sections need to work with the other sections and mm-hmm. and so I get to exercise that mental muscle a little bit. Yeah, and did I see? I might be wrong, and if I am wrong, please correct me on this. I'm wrong way too often in this podcast. Um, but did you guys do the classical symphony recently? Yes, we did. Now, that's a beautifully bookended <laughs> thing because we just spoke about the classical symphony and how much you didn't want to yes. play it. And now you played principal flute in the classical symphony. How did you find it? Yes, we, na- we nailed it. Was that the first <laughs> so time you played it since? Is that the first no. time you performed it in Norway? Okay. No, I've performed it before, but the last time I did it, it wasn't uh, as comfortable. And uh, this time I put a lot of... Right? I know. Um, But this time I really... uh, I'm a very different player from the last time I played it. And that was with a community orchestra. So the stakes aren't as high, but with a stage full of my colleagues that I see in other orchestras, it's it's the real thing. And so uh, we worked hard and I brought in a second flute player who was really fantastic, Jill Flutes. I don't know if you follow her. Oh, I do. She's a monster yeah. player. I love her fingers. She's fantastic. She's a and wonderful so, player. Yeah. And a really cool guard as well. Yeah. Might be a possible yeah, guest so on this fun. podcast in the future. But, oh, uh, I'll not wonderful. spoil anything. Yes, I... <laughs> she's adorable and uh, really an interesting person. Like just, um, I was you know, pleasantly surprised because that was the first time we really started to get to know each other well yeah, okay. outside of social media. I was media. curious about that as and, well, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, there are people who are who, you know, you might assume they might be some things, but, uh, you know, whoever, because they're young or, or what have you, but she's really a fantastic human being and I'm really yeah. glad that I brought her out. And It so, was so uh, fun seeing you guys together on social media because I follow her separately and then I follow you and I never even put two, because obviously Canada is fucking massive, so I never yes, really associated the two exactly. people in Canada could be playing together and I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck, there you go, they're both together and I thought yeah, it, was, it was adorable. We it, it was a very pleasant moment for me. Uh, and she's so fun to play with and, and so enthusiastic and really cares a lot. And she's a great uh, colleague and will become an even better colleague yeah. as she uh, grows into her, you know, flute playing. She's fantastic. And so it That's made awesome. it really easy for me. Although I was nervous at first because like, you know, some things just don't fall under the fingers. And I was just like, oh, don't, don't mess up. It never <laughs> falls under the fingers. So like the classical symphony never, fall, whatever the fingers are as well. I don't know how many cheat fingers I've learned for that piece over the years. <laughs> And yeah, to be honest, I, I just know. blow, hope for the best. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, hope for the best. And right, I know. You get is, and you know what we did? Our la- uh, our final concert last season, we did Firebird. Oh, fuck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and then yeah. in May of this season, we're doing Mendelssohn 4. Mm. Which is so, a bollocks of a piece, but it's also a great piece. <laughs> I enjoy that piece so much that it sort of outweighs it. the technical demands. Yeah, because, and, yeah, I'm and not to be mad honest, for classical symphony. I'm I'm not a huge fan of it as a piece. Like it's grand, it's it's, it's Prokofiev, it's great, but it's not it's my favorite piece of music. And no. I feel a little bit the same with Firebird. I like the parts of the Firebird Suite that the flute isn't too heavy, not deliberately, just by chance. But Mendelssohn Four, fucking love it from start to finish. So yeah, that's that one makes of my it a lot I love easier all to learn. Yes, you have it a sure does. Is there anyone any favorite composers to stand out? I see. Can I guess? Can I can I try and guess who I think your favorite composer would be? <laughs> it's going to be a good one. I genuinely well, don't know the answer the, to this. 
Okay, so there's the politically correct, I'm a Canadian and I'm an advocating for Canadian composers answer. And then there's the I'm a flutist in, a, in, a, in an orchestra and thinking of my favorite parts answer. And then there's the what do I listen to first answer. So Okay. I feel like you're going to embarrass me with the Canadian answer because I'm doing my best to try and think <laughs> of a Canadian composer and I'm not entirely sure. Is there a famous hint, Canadian composer that I'm hint, missing? Hint. Oh, no, but yeah. Yeah, okay. The ones in your album, <laughs> obviously, you have to say that. Elizabeth Calm, you have to say, yeah. Obviously, well, get she's also a fantastic composer. She's very clever and she's melodic and I'm kind of a melodic person yeah, being a flutist okay. we like to actually play pieces that i get to use more than one vibrato Ooh, on a note. do you have an opinion on different vibratos that's you've opened up a can of worms there as well mentioned that little <laughs> comment is it that was a drop-in <laughs> comment like oh okay tell me about different vibratos uh well i use it as color i don't have a solid vibrato like there's a certain level of certain branch of playing that's really intense and very soloistic and there's a lot of vibrati in in yeah. all of their sound and it seems to be ubiquitous in the entire performance yeah. i tend to prefer perhaps it's i guess it's maybe a more british style or maybe my own teacher <clears throat> um who's doug stewart who's principal flute in the canadian opera company best mm-hmm. flute player i've ever heard Really? No one's ever okay. heard him because he doesn't record a whole bunch. But honest to God, he's like a magical, magical flute. Okay. Um, and uh, anyway, but everybody. I use yeah. it as co- <laughs> Douglas Stewart. Um, I I use it as color, as bridging, as you know to you know you don't put vibrato. I mean, I think most orchestral players know this, and maybe it's a function of being an orchestral player that I do use it a little more selectively as opposed to being a primarily a yeah. soloist, which is something I never even imagined I would want to do. And then I, here I am and I have to like, you know, I, I really just wanted to create more repertoire for other people to play. Like but I've, now you've got albums coming out. Avail- now you've <laughs> got a potential second album available. coming out. Yes, I'm working on it. But but the parts are available and I want other people to play this music and I want other people to try it. And yeah. I really, I don't own this. This is for everybody to get to know a little piece of Canada through a flute lens. Yeah, that's a beautiful attitude to take towards music as well. I, I actually do feel the same, to be fair. I had, I've had many lessons where I've worked with students on different repertoire. And I will always give them the opportunity to say, you know, I don't like that. I just don't like the piece of music. I'm like, yeah, you're allowed to not like it. But there's a certain amount of respect that has to be paid towards the composer. And you're not really allowed to turn around and tell me after one year you don't like Mozart or you don't like Bach or you don't like, I don't know, Franck. Yeah, they deserve a certain amount of respect. And then after that, when you've explored it, you've depthed into it and you've really got to know it, then you can come and tell me, yes, yeah, I think it's shit now. But <laughs> there's a certain respect we have to give because we, I still view our role. It's, it's something I struggle with a lot thinking about often as a as a flute player is where do we stand between the line of technicians and artists? Where do we sort of blur in that line? Are we 50, 50? Because obviously I'm sure you've had this experience as well, but when you tell people who aren't musicians that you're a flute player and you play classical music, like, Oh, but do you compose as well? And you're like, no, I, I, I don't compose. I'm like, Oh, well then you're just, they view it almost if you're playing in a cover band, like, Oh, you're oh, playing I've someone heard else's that songs. So many times. And you're not a real trying musician. To, yeah. Trying to explain the artistry of interpretation becomes very difficult to say to someone, especially in my case where I'm usually doing it after like four pints in a pub. But it is very difficult to explain how interpretation is an art in itself and a very, yeah, a very serious art. Oh, yeah. 
How do you feel about that I kind of stuff? I battled that. Because yeah, you do I've compose as well, that. so. Well, only just this year. Mm. I just, I've allowed myself to um, explore using looper pedals and guitar pedals <sighs> and putting the flute through all kinds of cool things. It's a lot and of fun. doing, and um, working with percussionists <laughs> to really create uh, improvisational things. I did a whole sound healing event and um, a percussionist and I, I had I created some structures and had some ideas, and then we improvised through most of it. But through that, through his encouragement to you know really lean into improvisation, I started to create structures. And then um, I've always written other kinds of like uh, I'm a writer too, and 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 I do mm-hmm. some poetry, but more ritualized sort of um, evocative you know um, bits of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you will, but um, but then those sort of have been turning into oh wait this could be a song and so then I've been allowing ah. myself to have that stuff come into my life and so I've written a couple of songs and I just wrote uh, I'm collaborating with um, uh, a singer songwriter pianist and uh, we just wrote a Yule song and so I'm hoping to be able to produce that wow. in time for Yule and so this Are you is all sing? very very new. Um, <clears throat> I can sing in two. But that's all you need, isn't I it? don't know that um, I would want to put my voice out as the front person. I don't think so. Why not? Um, because <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't think you're good enough, or is it the question of intimacy? Because I do feel like singing is incredibly intimate. I would play the food for a thousand people before I'd sing for one. Yes, definitely intimate, but also just I think it's more of uh, being unpracticed and the uh, and. The amount of practice we do on our instruments um, and how we practice really sort of sets us up to be for improvising to be difficult. So I've been leaning into that a little bit to release some of that, but also yeah. to try and start singing when I haven't trained for it. And I just and the level of perfection we expect out of ourselves, especially as orchest- <sighs> as classical musicians, but flutists especially, because there's so much competition, yeah. that level of perfection we expect, I think like it's bleeding into that. Although I did, I put it out on SoundCloud and you can find it. I did two demos of two songs that I wrote and okay. it's me singing. I oh, just wow. put it out there. Yep. You can go find it on SoundCloud. Fuck, I feel a bit stupid. I didn't even get that. <laughs> my, my research has let me down on this one. Well, well, I I have stuff everywhere. Like I could have, I have a. You really pile do. To be fair, in my defense, yeah, you really do. There's a lot of stuff out there. When you Google your name, there's a lot of stuff out there, which is great. It's well, very I, impressive. Well, and that's what I think. Um, as classical musicians, if we're going to put out recordings and whatnot, we have to do that amount of work. And I did that because I wanted to see what would happen as a classical musician coming out of zero nowhere. Yeah. Um, what would happen? to the music or to the people and and our other classical musicians and classical music fans don't react on social media they don't respond they don't forward stuff they don't do anything but you meet them in person and they're all over you they're going oh i see all your things all the time you're so fantastic it's like i had no idea that people so then it's like the actual amount of people that are seeing me is more than i think yeah, it always is. Respond. It always is with classical music. It is such a, it's such a weird word sometimes for that kind of stuff. I, oh, I have some. I've had some very weird experiences with that kind of thing, which I'm not. I'm not getting into too much on this. But yeah, perfectionism <laughs> as flute players. This is something I love thinking about and love talking about because 
Yeah. Like genuinely, like, if I take my favorite rock bands of all time or my favorite artists, musical artists of all time, like for example, I was watching yesterday actually the BBC have a new documentary out with Louis Theroux um, and he's interviewing Pete Doherty, who is the lead singer of the Libertines. And I remember listening to the Libertines as a kid and still listening to them now and genuinely thinking the fact that they're a little bit shit, they're a little bit rough was the charm. That was the good thing about it. That's what we wanted yes. from them. They weren't polished, they weren't mm-hmm. beautiful. And I wouldn't dream of doing that in my classical playing. If I play one nope. wrong note, I think, that's it, I'm dog shit. That's it, cancel me, throw me in the fucking <laughs> Every bin. Every time. No point. And I'm thinking, yeah. even when I listen to classical players, I've been that she'll kill me for saying this, but I, I've had a drink and it's my birthday. I can say what I want. Um, <laughs> I once went to a rehearsal of the Radio France Orchestra and my teacher at the time, Magalie, who we've talked about, was playing principal flute yes. and she played, there's actually a, she's done it twice, but, but yeah, um, she was playing the La Premidi solo and she did the opening solo and played a fucking stinker of her wrong note like a fucking monster of her wrong note in the rehearsal in the rehearsal and okay. like yeah if she can do that why the fuck can't we and I, when she exactly. did it i was like that actually was cool as fuck because when she did it she came up saying she was laughing it's like oh did you hear that and i was like yeah that was <laughs> i did not expect a free pair of your caliber to play a wrong note and she went yeah sure isn't that freeing though to, it was great. to to have people admit their faults and so that's why i'm saying there's a genuine know, charm to it yeah and, and it's a freedom, and I think um, we we do a service to flute players coming up and to other musicians in in classical world to say, "Hey, you fuck up." That's what live music is all about. And I think I notice that that folks who have the jobs, who are really really top notch, who are, have jobs in in the, the bigger mm. orchestras, there aren't that many in Canada. But you know the people who have the permanent jobs, yeah. who play obviously play really well, and they want auditions. Um, once you get there, they tend to realize uh, how fortunate they are, but also they mm. admit their mistakes, and they're more liable to say that's just what live music is about. And yeah. they re- and they come to that. But those of us who are in the trenches are just freelancing and worried about your next job. If you mess up, are you going to not get hired the next time? You know, no. so there's a little bit of that. And I don't know if we're right in worrying about that, but that's kind of what colors it. And also students are always trying to compare themselves to, you know, the monster players from Eastern Europe on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are, and monsters I don't the right know words how. are incredible. I don't know how. Yeah. How do they do it? I have no idea. I yeah, I've seen I've seen like 14 year olds and 15 year olds on TikTok and I think, man, how the fuck are you doing that? When I was 15, I was not doing that. (laughs) I discovered beer and girls when I was 15. (laughs) Girls hadn't discovered me yet, but I discovered them and I was doing fuck all practice. (laughs) And even now I'm 31 today and I'm still beer and girls still take up good 90% of my time. (laughs) But I mean, we can make a case for there's a, there's somebody for every musician, right? There's, there's somebody out there who's going to appreciate what you do. And that's something I've learned through this whole journey too, that, that there's going to be somebody for everybody and there's room for everyone. That's another soapbox sort of thing for me. Like we aren't in competition with each other. So I want to uplift everyone that I run into. I just, you know, I'll celebrate if you're better than me or like you're doing something really, really well, I'm going to find out what you do and how you do it and learn and, and enrich my life from, from them being better, not run them down because I can't do that. It's like, well, I can do what I do. No one else can be me. And I I, I totally agree with that. But again, any other art form would do that. 
like flute players doing well or flute music being exposed to the world and doing well benefits all of us. We all get something out of it. Like I think of something yes. like if you take, yeah, I'm, I'm running very quickly on examples here, but 2003, the, the indie boom hit British music. The Libertines come out, they make an album and then suddenly there's 300 indie bands popping up and there's audiences buying their music and then those audiences make the music and it just blows up. We are the same. If someone gets us interested in the flute, gets us interested in classical music, that's good for all of us. That's exposure and that's interest for all of us. We should be supporting each other. But for some reason, we still have this fucking vicious attitude. Sometimes in the classical music industry, like vicious. Like I, I remember some of the conversations I used to have with people at music college. I'm like, man, that's t- like meow. Like stop it. <laughs> you don't have to bitch by people oh, it's that terrible. much. It's you awful. know where I see it a lot too? I see it a lot in the comments when people like Lizzo, for example, mm. are doing things and then the flute players come in and I have to say, I mean, <laughs> we can go on about the Facebook groups and all that kind of thing, but you know, like they slide into the comments and um and and say, well, you know, making comments about how it's not respectful to the flute and all these kinds of things and it tends to be more the less secure players maybe or amateur players who who want to elevate the flute playing i find that more professionals is like bring it on i'll play with hip-hop i'll play whatever it's fun right because because i mean we're I think that's what makes an, a difference between an artist and and someone who is is doing it for their own love of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but but that, I mean that's not across the board. I don't want to sort of shoot. It's just I just see the people who are no, willing to comment well. negatively. Yes, exactly. The people who are willing to to comment negatively just don't get it. Don't get the yeah. artistry and the fact that hey, she's making flute popular. This is good. It you benefits know? all of us. Matt, the amount and, of students and, I've had that have referenced Lizzo, especially the children, they're like, oh yeah, I saw Lizzo do this and now I'm getting flute music. I'm like, yeah, well, great. You're getting flute lessons. You want to play the flute. I'm getting paid. We're all winners exactly. here. Exactly. And and more people will be listening to flute and maybe they'll expand to listening to more classical and, and it just it just helps. One and thing so, leads to another, and, yeah. And and maybe a new genre will come from it and, and more collaborations and whatever. And like, I mean, there's, I've been reading the recent release of Andre 3000, who's a huge hip hop artist. Have you listened to it? He, yes, I have. And Okay, tell me, you know, I was about like, to do a thing on it. Tell me, tell me, be honest. Well, not that he listens okay, to this so, podcast. I'm sure so, he's not going to be too bothered with what we think, but yeah. So there's two ways to listen to it. There's two hats. Okay, go. There's there's the flute player birthday hat. See, I'm wearing my birthday hat now. <laughs> of listening to the. <laughs> make sure you get a screen. That's grab a gorgeous hat. Yeah. One. Sorry, I was okay. too busy pouring myself um, a fucking drink. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, sorry. Um, from a flute player standpoint, I mean, he's as a musician, he is exploring flute playing new, like, and it's uh, very, um, ind- you know, like. Um, early flutes and raw flutes and and more like you know very uh, more primitive flute type things and also exploring putting those flutes through different soundscapes and what okay. have you and and from that point of view like he's exploring his musicality that way and i've listened to a number of i went and found a bunch of interviews i wanted to know more about him and why he was doing that so i listened to a couple and he just was he didn't want to chase the um the streams and the the likes and whatever he was just expressing himself purely and from a flute player's point of view 
having somebody choose a woodwind instrument of different kinds, because he used electronic woodwind instrument, a real woodwind, all different kinds of stuff, to have him feel that in his soul, that being able to make breath and make sound... And that is what was moving his soul. It's like, yes! Now and that makes you know, like, him a true flute player then. Yeah, I think there so. And, 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 but from like, you know, if I was going to guide him in flute playing, there's a few things I would fix that. and there's some like sound production yeah. qualities or whatever. But, but he's already done his job and he was, he's had, he has the privilege of being able to put out an album, make a huge stink, get a lot of, you know, <laughs> traction from it. And, you know, both negative. You should see some of the comments. Oh my God. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> right, people who listen to the podcast, I'm sure they're getting quite a shock when they go towards a, even for I'm sure. thinking that sounds like a bit much for me, like a, a concept flute album from andre 3000 sounds a bit much <laughs> but <laughs> like it's, it's all just the ethereal stuff and meditative music the things that 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 you know like a lot of indie music players are getting and that's really the number one streaming the highest streaming is True. the meditation flute True. and and sound healing and all that kind of stuff yeah, and we fuck, might when you google it, flute that's like, what hey, comes up man Right, and if you want to make money on streaming to fund your other projects, like True. that's, that's the way do. to go. Why too. do you think I'm getting into that kind of stuff too? It's like I mean, I'm I'm a I mean Dollar the bills. other right <laughs> right we're yeah. we're mercenaries. Like yeah. that's the other thing about freelance yeah. players. We're mercenaries. Like, like, I'd sell my me, soul for a fucking. I'd sell my soul, man. There's no <laughs> so, honestly, people people like to think right? like, oh we're artists and this that man. I would throw it all away for a hundred quid. I'd throw it all away. <laughs> Fuck it. I've done worse for a hundred quid. I really. Bird <laughs> painting. Like but, if I if I was a lot of the just... comments. Sorry, yeah, a lot but, of the comments. I'm going to finish a lot of the comments on Andre 3000 of the people who are his hip hop fans, rap yeah, well, fans, like even more hardcore rap. What's it going um, to mean? A lot of them were moved. It's like I just put it on and I just meditated and I was just it sort of soothed my soul. And ah. so it's like, aha. That's a stepping stone because those people have not been exposed to it because it's very much a white elitist shit that we do, right? So there's and your so gateway drug. Who, right? And that and and that's where we need to meet people out of totally our agree. classical thing, right? And so I just a hot a hot little secret. Go, I'm working on a collaboration called Classically Dope. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's uh, he's a um, there's a rapper in the States who is going to be working on some projects with me and some other um, women producers in Toronto who are all musicians Whoa. as well. And we're doing a blend of classical music and indigenous hip hop and so uh, American hip hop. And it's How all do you about get, like, place. When you're coming to find these kind of projects, do you literally just throw yourself out there, go and message people and say, hey, do you want a collab? 100%. I haven't really got a concrete idea, but I feel like we could make something together. 100%. If I see something, somebody doing something cool, I'll reach out and I say, hey, I like what you're okay. doing. Would you like to do it? And I have a collab in the UK with a lovely woman who I really, who has uh, pagan sensibilities because that's sort of my, mm. my other side of my life. And, and so, um, and she's writing some indie stuff. And so she wants me to do some tracks on her things. I've collaborated with this songwriter who lives nearby because I wanted to write a song and I'm rubbish at piano. And so I can't really accompany myself. So I just needed some help. And I, I'm tired of being on my own because i really do everything by myself yeah and i just need to create with somebody and the percussionist that i did a couple of things with he's just he's too busy and and so i'm looking for more collab partners in that respect 
but um, fair play, you're just going out but, for you know, it. You know, I just I need to do things with people. I'm realizing that I, I feel really like that's a very, need that. Like obviously, I don't want to stereotype North Americans in one group, but I feel like it is a very North American thing to have that confidence to just. Go for shit. Just message people. <laughs> I wouldn't dream of it. I'd be so embarrassed. I'd be, <laughs> I don't think it's a Canadian thing. I think I'm kind of unique in that, to be honest. My stereotypes of Canada, I don't have many now, to be totally honest. You did say a boat earlier, which I really enjoyed. Did I? That's, that's one well, of my stereotypes. Why? You know why? It's because I'm from Nova Scotia. Oh, sorry. <laughs> gin, gin, yeah, so when I drink... <laughs> Well, it was when I drink a little bit, my Nova Scotian accent comes starts That's to gorgeous. come up. So if I keep drinking, it'll come up. But I was born in Halifax. My dad's from Cape Breton, and my mom is, is from you know New Brunswick and Halifax. And all my family's okay. down there. And so I'm I'm a I'm I'm definitely a down home girl. Well, my That's other big it, exposure to Canada, which I swear to God is a good exposure for me, was Trailer Park Boys. I fucking love trailer park boys i was mad it was like my university obsession i was also nice to expose us to a side of canada that we don't get exposed to for us canada is like oh it's like america but nice <laughs> it's the good side <laughs> on that side of the river it's the good ones but otherwise like oh yeah they're so nice and they got justin trudeau and everything's great and they love each other and then you see trailer park boys and you're like yeah they're scumbags too. <laughs> they, they, they're a bit rough too well, yeah, it. we do have we do have regional sort of battles. You know, there's like BC hippies, and then there's prairie uh, prairie oil type people, and then there's Ontario who thinks you know the world revolves around us, and uh, then there's the down homers. Like there are certain regional things that you can definitely get okay. into, uh, much like um, you know fights between siblings. Like we're Canadian and don't mess with me, and don't don't mess with my provinces and my siblings <laughs> yeah. right but we yeah. have rivalries in between each other. Not, yeah. everybody in ontario hates people who live in toronto and because we're the big city versus rural and, okay. and what's really challenging in canada and i think it's pretty unique to us but also possibly in russia too because the huge amount of space and the very small amount of of uh, population stretched a very long yeah. long uh border so we can't hop around and play concerts and like build a big tour and hit 12 different cities like because we can in the no. States or in Europe. It's, I mean, it costs more to travel to Vancouver than it does for me to get to London. Yeah, shit. Okay. In my own country. But it also does <laughs> so influence... I'm just thinking of this now, but it does influence this, the art you create. Because like, I think of like Russian literature, Russian music as well. That sense of space has always played a huge part in that kind of music. There's always that sense of space. There's always that sense of nothingness. There's always the, the destituteness of the Russian world, and especially like as you go further east in Russia. Further east, the Mongolian steppes and whatnot. So yeah. do you guys think that Canada has that same influence in their music as well? Like obviously your record plays into that heavily, but... Yeah, a little bit. I think, I don't know, because we like to, in general, and I'm generalizing, hugely generalizing, is really just rich people and most oh, we love generalizations people who do this, in this podcast. Is, is the camping aspect and going out into the wilderness because there's so much of it, especially yeah. in Ontario. That's a huge thing, going to the cottage, going up north, you know, cottaging or skiing and doing all those kinds of things. I think in urban centers, that's probably not as much. And certainly in downtown cores, um, um, we try to get people out into the greater natural world, but there is a tie in um, because there is so much, um, pardon me. Um, there's oh, so much of the Canadian shield that we can't grow on. We can't live on necessarily. And um, so just that awareness does color yeah. when, when we have like, when we're, 
you know, fed images of what Canada is. What Canada is actually on an individual basis is really no different than anywhere else. We have, you know, we have friendly people. We have, you know, um, happy people. We have bigots. We have, you know, people who care about the environment. We have people who are really poor and struggling to live. And then we have a lot of really, really rich people who don't notice. Like we have everything that everywhere else has. Like everywhere, yeah. But we're very lucky. We have a lot of fresh water. And we have a lot of space. And you have poutine. Um, and <laughs> we which, have poutine. Yeah, yeah, which, I can't yeah. eat poutine. I am so sad. Oh, because you're celiac. I have so many food issues. No, it's not celiac. Oh, but I'm celiac's also allergic fine, to yeah. night. I'm allergic to nightshades. You're allergic to what? Tomatoes. T- nightshades. So tomatoes. Is that a peppers, Potatoes. <laughs> It's like everything red and flavorful. Oh, so I can't fuck. eat potatoes. Everything you can't eat potatoes. Sorry, <laughs> you feel the eyes rising up on me there. Right, <laughs> I, can't I eat potatoes. know. I can't drink Guinness. Irish myself, I feel. Fuck, like. fuck that out the window. Right, I know. I have I, to, life is not worth living. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to move on from that topic because you only got to depress me. You only got to depress me. There is one topic I have to get onto. Obviously, for the day that's in it and fitting, but <clears> it's a topic I find super interesting: is ageism within classical music. This is something that you yeah. said you know quite a lot about. You feel like you're quite – I've read a lot about this. It's it's not something that would have personally affected me that much. Like I'm at the age now where yeah, like the likes of orchestral academies, they're not appealable to me anymore. They're not open to me anymore. The cutoff point for international competitions tends to be 28, 29, yeah. 30. So I'm starting to dip my toes in suffering from a bit of ageism, but I'm all right. What are your What are your opinions on that? Well, I mean, I'd be curious to see, uh, to know what you found, to be honest, um, oh. coming at it from a male, non, you know, younger-ish sort of um, musician. I oh, yeah, like all the boxes, what, straight, what light, found. male, yeah, all the boxes. <laughs> um, but but you're still young enough to, to still think um, that there's a, a huge career ahead of you, right? Um <clears throat> I don't notice my age uh, because my eyes are still 20. Do you know what I mean? I still see And you're only 24 anyway, so. Right? I know. I still see out of very young eyes and um, I don't think I look my age. So there's that. But also there's there's a lot of sort of um, ageism online. You see it a lot. A lot of... You know, like you'll see 19, 20 year olds commenting on a, on a fitness video with a, a woman in her 60s wearing, you know, really, really fit and, and teaching people how to, you know, exercise and feel good in themselves mm. and telling them, like, you shouldn't be wearing that, you know, especially as women, especially as women, um, ageism is a huge problem. Yeah. Um, we, you know, recently although it's been you know it's been played down but we had a a news anchor who let her hair go gray over covid and then she was um uh not renewed as a she's been a news anchor for quite some time and then she just suddenly found herself not a news anchor and so we all saw it as an ageist thing um they the the network disagrees but um, <clears throat> we know what's happening. You know, like at a certain age, you disappear. 
because you're not interesting anymore. I mean, we disappear to men just in, in general, but also um, in the music world, you mentioned um, uh, academies, but some people start late, especially women who have babies. Yeah, we need to course. take 10 years off until we no. can, you know, an, an awful lot to get back into shape unless you have a job already. So that's 10 years. So that already ages you out of composing, um, Composing's um, bad competitions. Well, yeah. yeah, it ages you out of the performing uh, competitions. Now, there, some are starting to change that and having professional categories. But sometimes you're an emerging artist, and I just started ten years ago. You know, like it should. So some of them are changing their their terminology to emerging, as in you just started and you're not an established professional. Yeah. And so they're not putting an age category on it. But most of them are very ageist. I know yeah. that I. Have no hope of doing an audition in Europe because their cutoff is thirty. I don't so, think so. Yeah. You know, for some of the orgs. not that I was had any sort of desire. Like I only came to a place of being able to play as well as I do now. You know, very late in the game. I'm a late bloomer. They call us, right? Which is and incredible so, as well. I should, yeah, I should mention that as an example yourself because. I don't know what your background, especially, is in your studies or what you've done before. But you played at an incredibly high level now, and that sort of came, seems to have came out of, I wouldn't say nowhere, but yeah, in the last three to four years, suddenly your plan exploded, you're making albums, you're doing gigs, you're performing regularly, yeah. and I was like, shit, she's really good. <coughs> and you think oh, normally you. someone of, like even my hits for fuck's sake, my is, there's records of me or videos of me playing from 14 years ago. 15 years ago it's all documented it's all online with you it just sort of seemed to go quietly under the radar and then bang out you come well that and that's a function of i never really felt like i wanted to put myself out there i was focusing so much on orchestral work that i didn't think of it didn't even occur to me that it was something that i should do and so that's what i'm telling everybody i run into go record something put something in an album like it it'll help Build your own confidence, yeah. first of all. And um, and then you get to hear yourself play, and then you'll realize that you actually have something to say. And that's the other thing that I really carried, and it was really huge, and even impeded my um, doing recitals. I put on a you know, a couple of recitals. I have a guitarist I play with, I've put mm -hmm. on a couple of, of shows, but I never really felt like I had anything to say or to add to the current repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Really. And so I was very selective in the in the in the performances that I did when I was asked to perform, I always said yes, and I've done a couple of solo things, but um in, in addition to that sort of I guess you could say somewhat lack of confidence, but also I wanted to to feel like I had something to say. Yeah. Um that's a really interesting to that, viewpoint I, to take on that as well. Sorry to interrupt, but that's a really interesting yeah. viewpoint to take on Rasylum because I would never consider myself saying I haven't got something new to offer the back sonatas. I would just think, no, if I can do them right and I can play the right notes. The thing that would stop me is thinking, Oh shit, I'm gonna play a mistake. I'm gonna play a wrong note. But for you to think I haven't got something new to contribute, that's a really that's a that's a really good opinion to have, to be totally honest. <laughs> That's the way it should be. I can't. I mean, I guess, but I mean, every 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 instrumentalist is so unique on their instrument, regardless. You know, as much as we try to emulate other people or play it perfectly, everyone's going to have a different take. And I think I've come to that realization. I wish I'd had that a little bit earlier, but I think I really had a higher standard for myself, and that might have been part of why I was reluctant. Um, but um, 
this journey like started well before I even was was told, "Hey, I'll write you a piece." Um, I did the the, the Schubert, um, you know, the Trachtenblumen uh, um, uh, thing, which is which which is you know has some notes. I thought and it was hard fucking for- half, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was kind of hard for me at the time, but I actually, someone asked me to play and I said, okay. And I just, I just took it on. I just said, I wasn't ready for it, but I got ready for it. And okay. so that's always how I've done things is like, I need to do something. Yeah. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah. My, my dad was always impressed by, by my by doing, yeah. willingness to just go out and do something. Um, and say I'm yes. I'm impressed and, by that and, before, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no. Say yes and go. <laughs> Thank oh. you. <laughs> Um, just go, just why not, you know? And so, and, and the more I did that, then that fueled my confidence. And I actually did, um, the France sex, um, duo for, um, like suite for, uh, flute and bassoon. Yep. And wow. I got to play that with a most phenomenal bassoonist, Nadina Mackie Jackson, mm-hmm. who is as a soloist, um, most, uh, she's Canadian, but like, um, you really should get to know her. She's an, an amazing person. Okay. She dyes her hair blue and she was sort of like a little bit ah, of a Did she you know, dye her hair blue when you guys get together? No, she's been doing it for years. Ah, it just sort of like just playing look, with blue her. Blue and pink. I know. I know. I wanted Missed to do a there. piece with her and that's kind of like, but she's sort of, you know, um, wasn't able to do it. And so I ended okay. up doing um, a flute and bassoon and harp piece um, on the album, but it actually started with, we did that front sex piece for a concert and it was challenging, but with her encouragement, we really put on like, it's a very difficult piece um, for flute anyway, but also difficult to find a thread in the whole piece to make it sound good. I was listening to all kinds of, you know, what YouTube recordings I could find and I didn't like any of them. So I thought for sure we would hate this piece. And I brought extras and she brought extras because she thought the same thing. And then we played through and we found something playful in it together. And that was Uh. so informative for me um, that we were able to find something. And that gave me a little bit more confidence in that. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I have something to offer and I have something musical to say. And that has grown since. And I think that, yeah, that ties in beautifully what i said earlier of that is the artistry with an interpretation you will always find something there's always space for us as interpreters or as musicians to find one thing that we can put on and go yeah nobody else has found that or nobody looks at it the way i look at it i'm going to put it on that thread and then we're going to see where that goes i'm going to bring a piece out of that that's yeah i love that right a couple of things before we go well not before we go we got 10 minutes it's my podcast okay. we do have the fuck I'm on. um <laughs> Can we talk forever? I'm enjoying it. I know. We, yeah. This will be the first of a potential trilogy, we'll say. We'll book ah. us in for a trilogy. I'll get you booked for a couple more episodes. Um, yes. First of all, for a musician that maybe is further on in their career, feels like they're not going somewhere, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe at that stage? For example, maybe a handsome 31-year-old Irishman who's drinking a <laughs> glass of rosé and thinks it might all be over. What advice would you give to someone at that stage? To be honest, I would actually uh, encourage you to record, to be honest, because that's the one thing that really, like, conceive of an album, think of something that you would like to share with somebody and get it out there, because we're all on recordings, we're listening to Spotify, Mm -hmm. everything is even TikToks or whatever, so that's how people will discover you, but more importantly, you'll discover yourself. There you are, beautiful. You know, go through the process of of the you know the recording process was new and it was really I I didn't know how I didn't know how it was done and it was really interesting to go through that process. It's weird the recording process. I fucking hate it. I never enjoyed recording. (laughs) 
Never enjoyed really? it. Yeah. Have you recorded solos or just orchestral stuff? No, I've recorded, especially recently, I've recorded in a lot of, um, I wouldn't say Irish folk albums, but yeah, there's a band back home, my best friends in the band yeah. back home, and I've recorded with him, yeah. and I've recorded a couple of like uh, video game stuff and things like that. But in any case, I always hate the experience. Oh, Always why? hate it. Because I always feel like every single time, every recording I think I've ever done in my life has always been, I'll do a couple of takes and I think, oh yeah, give me another go, run the tape again, let's give it another lash. And it'll always be the first one. And the first one I'm never really that happy with. But you're always thinking, oh, it could be a wee bit better. could be a wee bit better. And then I, I run myself into that search of perfection. It's a fruitless search. Yes, I'll have stories for you. So um, with classical, it's a little different because it usually takes a couple of runs and then we get into it because it's a totally different um, genre. And I think if you maybe commission some pieces or do something new where you're not tied into how everybody else will do it, that's what helped me because they're new pieces. No one else does them. Someone else might do it better, but this is the first one. And so there were that took a lot of pressure off. Um, but there were... <laughs> One of the the pieces, uh, Nibin, there's a it's a concerto for flute and indigenous storyteller, and this was That's a suite cool. for piano. Uh, thank you. Um, I had gotten it the week and a half before we recorded it. Fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. And no, normally I in the classical world, we we we, <laughs> we normally in the classical world we play something, we perform it lots, and then we decide to record it. I'm doing it yeah. the opposite. I wanted to record something, and now I'm trying to find places to play it and yeah. whatnot. So that's my job now as a performer to <sighs> to find places to play. But I had gotten it the week and a half before, and the pianist got it the week before, or like the Monday, and she like she's phenomenal. <laughs> Tina Fey is just an absolutely monster pianist. It's so great to work with but um so there was one bar in the final movement that i i recorded 27 times 27 <laughs> that is not bad shooting 27 honestly I, i've done a lot bar. worse <laughs> one bar i i i challenge okay. you to figure out to figure out what bar it's in the last I, movement just what i was about to think i think i'm gonna go listen and find out what fucking bar that is i'm gonna okay. really enjoy listening so it's that. The, I'll, I'll help you out it's the last movement of um of Nibin, so number five yes yeah, five movements, I think, yeah 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 so the last okay. one so you'll have to <laughs> okay well that's a challenge for all the listeners then go and see if you can find out what bar was recorded 27 times before it got right so the composer the composer of that is a string player he's a violinist and so um it was very uh, one flutist when who he had like you know because he consulted a bunch of different people and including me to 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 write it. Um, one flutist friend of his said it's very violiny, <laughs> so which I think is a compliment. About, yes, yes, it's very violiny, like the part itself, and so that means like you know violins play things very differently than flute players do, and so yeah. there are some things that fall easier on the hands than than. Okay. Um, on flute okay. than they do on violin and so yeah this bar was was a bollocks yeah well 27 <laughs> times is good shooting i've recorded things but, a lot more than 27 times i know but then if I've you go look at my videos i played them live right there mm. are two videos there's the mascal premieres and that was that um that intercut with um b-roll video that we did uh -huh. for that one but i had to play that live so i had to get it prepared and yeah, that, so you don't get 27 goes of that, do you? That, no. Yeah, that, sorry, sorry, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Right? And <laughs> and I played that movement, the scary movement, um, in Chicago. That was where I premiered it in Chicago oh. for the National Flute Association. Ooh. 
Wow. And wow. there were 65 people in the audience. Normally at conventions, you don't get that many people. But there, but there were I was about to say, 65 is fucking good for a convention. Right? Like I've seen. No. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it seen, was, yeah. It was, it was, I'll let's see how many I've seen. Yeah, good. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, ma- I think I managed okay, but that was that was, uh, that petty, was intense. Yeah. yeah, that was intense. But yeah, right before you go, <laughs> I, I say before you go, it feels like we've just got started. It genuinely feels like the balls are starting to roll here. I know. But I the magic of, to talk about the magic of editing. I'll get all kinds of shit out of this. Don't worry. I, it'll look great. But I do want to do the um, ten quick fire questions. I wasn't going to do them, but questions. then okay. It's a, uh, yeah, this podcast episode went hey, so well. Hang oh, on no, a second. Can we, can we pause that for a second? Mm-hmm. I'm being interrupted. Well, you'll do that intro again. Yeah. I am so sorry. Oh, well. Oh, well. What? What's up? Uh, what do you want from Special Um, Just my usual quarter chicken. Okay. I'm keeping that in. Okay. Yes, thank <laughs> I'm 100% you. You keeping that not. in. That's keeping it. No, man, that's too good. No, there's <laughs> Where are you going? What 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 are you getting? What are you getting to eat? My my two boys and my husband are going to Swiss Chalet. What's that? Um, it's uh basically a roasted chicken sort of uh restaurant. Oh, like Nando's? Oh, you have Nando's do you? Do you know Nando's? Sort of. Yeah, we have Nando's, but it's it's um good. It's, <laughs> I mean, they have a special sauce that people like, and just the way they roast it. It's just roasted chicken, and they have uh, French fries that the kids like, and it's just a particular That's flavor that they have, and everything. And, and what so. are you getting? What's your usual? I'm such um, a nosy bitch here. What are you getting? Um, chicken breast. Just white chicken. I'm so boring because like, I'm, I'm boring. so difficult to feed, right? I just, I just Ah, yeah, because you've got... Oh, yeah. you know what I have? Well, you can't let me go yet. So after the... the, the um Before. Actually, let's do it before. Before the, the fire question. Yeah. Rapid fire. Okay. So we're still rolling. Okay. So in this package from Sheet Music Plus, where I get a lot of my music because I never sponsored. leave the house. <laughs> Not I, hey, but if the world to sponsor us here, if you want to sponsor lads, we'll take your money. So <laughs> I have this... This is your birthday present, but I've been waiting for something, which is why I haven't mailed it yet. So there was a funny set of articles about um, oh raccoons God. in the Toronto Star. And do you want to see the rest of it or yeah. do you want to be surprised? I'm going no, to show you because it's your birthday today. Yeah, it's my birthday okay, today. So yeah. I, I printed bookmarks out that had my Flute in the Wild cover on them. So there's that uh-huh. side that has a flute on yeah. it. And then... This is my tagline. Welcome oh, to just... Canada through a flute lens. It's backwards, but people can flip it. So I gave you a bunch of books. Oh, it'll be flipped in post. Don't worry. Oh, very good. Fine. Never mind. And <laughs> my, my marketing uh, manager will deal with that. <laughs> what I'm waiting for really <laughs> is to give you one of these, my dear, my dear friend. Just wait for it. Oh, God. I'm so excited. I'm a bit nervous as well. It's, it's a silk cloth of my album cover. Whoa! It's now, so. This is mine, which is why it's wrinkled s- and heinous. But a silk cloth. Can I use that to clean my flute, or is that like yes, that's a no-no? It's for your flute. You can. It's for okay, your it's flute. for my flute. Okay. Yeah. It's a silk I'm cloth so for your flute. My which flute. Is why I did so. Cool. I am so fucking bad at cleaning my flute, man. <laughs> the outside of my flute is stinking. The inside's gorgeous, but the outside of my flute is well, fucking stinking. I use mine uh, on my lap to like um, to mop up my hands before I play, so I'm not so sweaty and whatnot. Or oh, yeah, I wipe down lot, yeah. my my um, my keys with it. But uh, yeah. there's going to be one coming for you, and you can use it whatever you like. And then we've got a little. Ah. 
I don't even think I've talked about. I don't even think I've talked about my obsession with fucking raccoons on this podcast. <laughs> but Sorry, I said attention. that. I really worded that in a bad way. I have an obsession <laughs> with <laughs> raccoons. <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean. Like I didn't. I don't have an obsession with that. I can't cancel if I say that. I have an obsession with raccoons. Are you a rac- fuzzy? Are yeah. you a furry? Isn't that what they call them? Right. I t- <laughs> cut the cameras. Cut the cameras. Cheers, we man. We run them. I don't have an obsession with fucking. I have an obsession with raccoons <laughs> that are fucking brilliant. That's a better way to say yes, it. I think they are. And then, so there's oh, a, that's a pin. That's a pin. <laughs> you can cut that out. So no, I'm going to do this again for you. So I have a pin. Of uh, a raccoon in a trash can, and I think it it's says beautiful. Toronto on it. And then there's a keychain with a raccoon hugging the CN Tower, which is ah, that's class. And that's and that's all going in a package. So that's what I'm wonderful. waiting for okay, is thank you very silk much, cloth. That's incredible. I'm waiting for the silk cloth to come. So it'll come this week, and then I'll send it to you. I'm incredibly appreciative. That's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I love the way you say, "Oh yeah, we'll re-roll this," as if I'm going to cut any of this. <laughs> As if any of this is not going straight into the podcast. They're all listening to this right now. Fuck it. Right, 10 quick questions. We're going to fire through this because okay. I feel like this is going to become a bit of my brand. I need a beverage. No, it is going to be quick. And yeah, there's one question you don't okay. have to answer, but we'll get to it. Okay, question number one. What is your favorite word? Beluga. What's beluga? Is that, is that a wheel? Beluga whale. It is a, a whale. whale. Yeah, okay. It's weird to gin, say. But, no. Okay. It's weird to say beluga. It's fun to say, yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, fair play. What is your least favorite word? Moist. Are you one of those people? Yes, I am oh, one of those people. Fuck. <laughs> I have to always make sure I edit this when I'm reading it, but it says, what turns you on creatively? Creatively. All right, we're not going to get that personal. What turns me on creatively? I don't know. I feel like I'm always creative. So um, it's kind of, it's almost a curse. Um, but other people doing interesting things usually yeah. sparks something. Got that. Okay. Well, what turns you off creatively? People being mean. Got that. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Uh, I gotta say, James Galway flute. Oh yeah, that's I hear that's a good answer. <laughs> we'll end it there. No. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? I have this one, and my family all James Galway flutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, crinkling wrappers. Hmm. Like the like Christmas paper wrapper. Any kind of thing, like you hate that. Any, but see, even now, I I'm love that. That's really? beautiful ASMR. ASMR, right. It's um, more so when I'm trying to listen to a movie or TV show or whatever, but there are sometimes, and and this is, it's weird. It's, okay, under the TMI, um, it's tied hormonally, hormonally for me. I could tell, like, it's not an issue anymore, let's just say, but I can tell when my hormones were going wonky, um, when, when, when crinkling wrappers or people making ah. weird sounds with their plastic bags, like in a would lineup just... at a store would make me mental. Like I would have to really just breathe and meditate through that so that I don't shout at random people in the store lineup. It's really bad. So that's when I knew I was just like, I'm not fit for public consumption. I'm no, they are. They are. I'm, yeah. 
That's a you problem, not an us problem. Yeah, that's totally a me problem. <laughs> okay, right. Well, um, two left. You don't have the answer to this, um, but if you want to, you have can. Have we done eight? Was that eight already? I think it is, yeah. If I'm, if I'm counting right, yeah. Which I might not be. I've had half a bottle of very cheap German wine. What is your favorite curse word? You can go die. You can go die a curse word. You can give me a... What, what do Canadians say? Oh, shucks. <laughs> That's what I think Canadians say. What do Canadians say? You're too nice to swear anyway. Um, what I use all the time is arse because it makes me happy. Right. You have said um, that before in our like interactions over text. Is that yeah. a Canadian thing or is that tapping into your Irishness? It's a down home thing. So it's a Nova Scotian thing, which is, which really? is then again, tie, yeah, because Nova Scotia is very similar to um, Irish and Scottish sort of uh, sensibilities uh-huh. and colloquialisms, which is why I think I like how Irish your podcast is and how raw you are and how just very real. It, you have uh-huh. no pretensions and that's very uh, no. much a Nova Scotian thing. There and you probably are. more so a Cape Breton thing. Cape Breton uh, is... Uh, Oh, okay. So part of Nova Scotia, there's like the main part of Nova Scotia, which is attached to Canada by a very sort of narrow, um, you know, jot of land. But then mm. at the very end of Nova Scotia, you'll see a little sort of looks like a lobster claw. Um, and it's attached by a causeway. Like it's, it's, it's actually like, it's almost like an island. So it's Cape Breton Island. Right. And that's where it's mostly, it's very, very Irish there. Um, oh, in God, fact, when um, we had a lot of immigrants come to, uh, to uh, Cape Breton and a, a number of Irish immigrants um, settled there. And um, there's a, a lot of traditional fiddling and traditional um, step dancing and whatnot. And back in the day, a lot of Irish, um, pardon me, um, ethnomusicologists and other fiddlers and dancers mm. came to Nova Scotia to relearn the traditional um, wow. um, music and dancing. Like because pen, they, yeah. Right. Because they were, you know, the, uh, the, the Brits tried to eradicate it. Right. And so, but um, I love the way you say the Brits there, they, by the way, that, that, that's a woman <laughs> after my own heart. Right. I know. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. But that the, um, the Irish that immigrated, um, were were spared that right like they held on to their traditions and that's true in newfoundland as well there's a lot of um irish in newfoundland and you'll know you'll probably recognize now, some of the old um accents in newfoundland um is very yeah. similar to places in ireland i've heard that right? yeah so, yeah very like hard r's yeah. as well very yeah it's a, it's a weird yes, accent and you know, and so, you know, one of the lines is down with the causeway and like a lot of the, yeah, the, the, that, any you know, kind that. of accent that comes that. out is very I'm much. I'm a sucker for that. I'm a sucker for that. Cape Breton and Nova Scotia. You know, oh, I should make sure that one of these there. questions. Like, what's the sexiest accent? I'm a sucker for those kind of accents. <laughs> I really am. Right. Last question. To, I, I feel like this question is redundant for you as well. But what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? But you've done every profession. <laughs> So <laughs> I guess I have. Yeah, I have. Yes, I'm a graphic Is there designer. one that you want to do? One I want to lean into, and I do, and I do. I do have two books that I have pitched: is a Children's Book Illustrator. Well, I have two books wow. that I've Yeah, I've illustrated two books, and I would like to do that when I'm done fluting. Fuck. So when you hang up your flute, that's the next one. Yeah, I think so. <sighs> 
Beautiful answer. Really good answer, man. Really good answer. You've got to put the rest of my guests to fucking shame when they come on in the next few weeks in the podcast. They've all got a lot to live up to. I would love to interview some of your guests with you. That would be so much fun. Oh, God, yeah. But right. yeah, this this whole N9G community is going to, it's going to get out of, it's going to get out of hand soon. It really it is. So is. I There's hope so. be problems here. I hope so. I have to take with the well, fucking I'm word. starting a podcast too. We didn't mention that, but um, it's, it's taking a little bit of time to figure out how is to it make official, it then? Um, yes, we just have to figure out when and how we're going to do it. Um, my partner wants to wait a little bit and I have some ways of, um, trying to answer her very valid questions of what we need to do. And so I have some solutions for that. And I would just want to interview some Canadian musicians and, and, and And whatnot. Maybe some Irish musicians as well. Maybe some, um, if you move to Canada, yes. Right, I'll move to Canada to do the podcast. All, it's Canada flutes. We, because our country is so big. I don't know. It's too big. Half the it's honestly in, too big. In, you don't need half. Right? <laughs> I don't know half of what's going on. Or like, I don't even know like a tiniest fraction of some of the flute players. And through exploring things and finding flute players and doing Canadian it's flute a music idea. stuff, I'm... I'm discovering all kinds of flute players, both amateur and teachers and performers that There's I wish some great flute I knew players in better. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah, one of those I things know- as well that like we always, we always play that game of like, who's Canadian? Guess who's Canadian? Guess who's not American, but is Canadian. <laughs> and I feel a little bit the same with the flute playing words. I'm like, Oh fuck. You're a woman there. She's Canadian. Yes. Like, didn't know that. We, we send a lot of really great flute players down to the States to the big you orchestras. Do. Yeah. We, fuck yes, fuck we do. Sorry. <laughs> um, Shouldn't get political on this actually, podcast. <laughs> Got political a lot. But I interviewed, I had the joy of interviewing Tim Hutchins. Oh, uh, the yeah. The of Montreal Symphony. Very And OSM. Orchestre. Yeah. Um, so, and also interviewed the principal. He's fucking amazing, Nash. by the way. Big fan yes. of him. My teacher used to love him yeah. as well. My teacher back in Cardiff, yeah. yeah. Great player. One of the most really amazing cool well. orchestral flutists. Yes. Um, so I interviewed him before COVID and also interviewed the principal flute of the National Ballet, Leslie Alt. Les Alt. He's also a phenomenal flute player. Okay. And um, and so I, and I interviewed Bob Aiken. Oh, yeah. Who's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and I'm in kind of the Bob Aiken line. Yes. Fuck, I are. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, like when you say Jim Carrey's actually... Canadian, you're like, oh yeah, fuck right, if Jim Carrey's Canadian. <laughs> I didn't know Bobby. There you are. Of course he is. I know he he taught a lot in uh, in in the Hosh school, but um, and so did Doug Stewart. They went. Yeah, to I German played quite one of his bit, pieces but... as well, and one of my end of year recitals in Paris. Yeah. yeah, I I played. Yeah, uh, something song. I can't remember what it was. It was fucking brilliant. I yeah, made a balls of it, like, but. It was a great piece. <laughs> I made a balls of it, like, but it's a whole different story. I turned up hungover. It was bad. Turned up hungover to the rehearsal. Yes. I didn't talk about, yeah. The performance was banging, so, but the rehearsal was, well, <laughs> it was a bit ropey. Uh, Northern Ireland just well, qualified know, for the European Championships. But anyway. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. I know he writes some great music, but yeah, he lives in Toronto and he's, um, there you are. Uh, he has like, there's like the Bob Aiken line of flute players in my, and uh, I'm from his line as opposed to the Tim Hutchins and that ah, line, the Backstresser the, line. I'm are. from the Bob Aiken. Genie Backstresser's Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Um, she may have been born in the States, but she got a job in Montreal and spent I a lot of time in Montreal, here yeah. and, and spawned an, a, a great number of flute players who then went on to teach. And then Ransom oh, well, Wilson is also have, yeah. Canadian. And then Ransom, Ransom Wilson. Wilson's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Fucking yeah. God damn it, man. This is just like that game. <laughs> I didn't know Ransom Wilson's Canadian. I really need to do my homework on this. They should have a Wikipedia page 
like saying that these people are not American. I know you think they're American, <laughs> but they're not. Well, that's why I'm starting the Canada Flute they podcast are. with well, my lovely friend this is your Stephanie Curl. This is your first plug. Yes, by the time, no, actually, yeah, you won't have your podcast by this Friday. This podcast <laughs> is a very quick turnover. This podcast is a worryingly quick turnover. Awesome. To be totally honest. Yeah, right, we have to wrap alone. this up. We have to wrap this okay, up. Okay, I, I, I go on for hours. We go on for hours. Editing, yeah. Yeah, I'll leave that to All my right. editing team. <laughs> You have a team? Oh, look at you. I, yeah, I have to team. edit it myself. <laughs> team. That's you. <laughs> yeah, team. CEO, director, right? marketer, producer. Right. I know. It's hard. Uh, it's a lot of work, man. Corrupt at the fucking top, man. Corruption runs through this podcast. <laughs> it's fucking, it's dirty from the top to the bottom. Right, well, we have to go. That's what I love it was, about it. It was a pleasure. I'm so glad to get you on as well. I'm so glad to get someone who listens to the podcast, build this community. It's fucking great. This will not be the last time. We'll have to, we'll, yeah, we'll have to organize another podcast where we maybe delve a bit more deep dive into certain topics. But I enjoyed this. I enjoyed bouncing around. I enjoyed just getting to know each other. It was a lot of fun. I so, enjoyed it. And thank you so much. Right. We'll say goodbye to the listeners and viewers and then we'll go chat off air. So if you want to say goodbye to them, you can go ahead. All right. Uh, flute in the wild. Get to know Canada. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, stream me. it. It's on Spotify, by the way. Flute in the Wild. You'll find it easy. I'll put a link in the description. Done and dusted. Kippers and Custard. See you guys next week. <laughs>